warm welcome as he makes his way forward. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's pray real quickly before we move any further. Let's pray. Let's grab somebody's hand around you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, um, just the honor of being in your presence this morning, Father God. Father God, even right now, we come against every stronghold. We come against every work of the enemy in this place right now. Holy Spirit, we bind up every thoughts in high places that are exalting themselves above you, Father God. We come out right now, we come against every assignment placed on this service today, God. Every distraction, every spirit coming to to, to, to distract your people in this place today. We come against it and we curse it from the roots right now, Holy Spirit. We come in agreement, Father God, that your word shall be spread today. Your message shall come forth, Father God. Your word shall inspire us, God. It shall bear fruit in us, God. It shall have its way in our lives, God. You will be honored above all things in this place today. In Jesus' name, somebody say, I honor you, Father. Hey, Rick, if you could just lower the mids. This is the mids. Amen. We are in week four, am I correct, of our five-week series, amen, continuing where we left off. We've been covering the React series, and I'm encouraged just hearing a lot of praise reports, a lot of people who are being able to receive from it, and it's a blessing, amen, and we just thank God for that, and we've been getting tons of, um, tons of emails, a lot of Facebook feeds from it, and We've been getting hundreds of hits on our website because of it. So God is good. Amen. Amen. React. Five principles for Christian living. Amen. Week one, we covered the, just for a brief recap, the repentant mind of not always coming to God, begging for forgiveness, but changing the way we live. Amen. Looking at life differently, changing your ideas about sin, changing your perspective towards sin, saying, God, I no longer am attracted to sin. As Paul said, we're dead to sin. Amen? Amen. Week two, we covered the letter E from React, which is the effective believer. A study that, that we looked at that we have to have the principles of God in our lives in order to be an effective Christian. Amen? Amen. If we don't have the, the, the principles of God, if we don't have the, the goodness, the knowledge of God, if we don't have the, the prayer life of God, Coming to church does not make us a Christian, but rather seeking God. Amen. I asked my small group on Wednesday, if you stop coming to church, take away all your church attendance and tell me what in your life says you're a Christian. If you took away your church attendance, folks, the fact that you came here on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever it might be, what in your life screams out that you have a relationship with God? Your prayer life, your time reading the Bible, your study time. What what is it in your life that shouts out, I serve Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Taking out the idea of church. What is it? And so we have to be an effective believer. In order to do that, we have to have the qualities of God. Amen? Last week, we covered the accountable believer. Accountability breeds what? Responsibility. Accountable Christians are held accountable. We realize that God's going to hold me accountable. I'm going to have to give an explanation for my entire life to the Lord. The Bible says it multiple times, probably in seven different scriptures, that I will stand before God and give an account of all my life. And when I have that thought in my mind, I really live my life differently. So maybe I'm not going to do this. Maybe I won't say that. We're accountable for each other, our brothers, our sisters, amen. We're accountable for the people out of the lost souls in this world that we should be reaching out to. And today, week four, 
we're at the letter C. You know, I was very sick yesterday. I was going to call out today and just be like somebody else has to preach. Nobody wants to come and preach about correctable believers. But today I want to talk about the issue of correction in the church. Get your seatbelts on. Just wanna, I want to look at how do we react to God's correction? How do we <coughs> um, know God's correcting us? Many times we dislike correction, amen? As a society, as a culture, we don't like correction. We become a culture that seems to despise it. We despise authority. The music of today teaches our youth to despise authority, to hate the proverbial man and to act as we see fit. Nobody can tell us nothing. We hate our bosses, the ones who hired you. We hate the police, the ones you call in the midst of an emergency. We hate the people who protect us. We hate our parents who provide for us. These kids listen to their friends but not their parents. As if their friends have been somewhere their parents have not. Friends the same age, has no life experience, but our kids listen to friends instead of parents. How foolish are we? We don't respect authority anymore in this day and age. I was going to tell you guys, think of what a society would look like without correction, but we live in one. Could you imagine if police never stopped somebody for breaking the law? They never pulled people over for drunk driving. Could you imagine what, 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 a, what your education would have been if your teacher never corrected your work? If your teacher never taught you, if she never said, hey, that answer's wrong, this question's wrong, that's wrong. If she just let you do as you please, what would your life begin to look like without correction? Anybody here with me today? It has come to the point where correction is an issue all throughout our society. We have a disdain for it. Christians leave churches because of correction. Uh, churches split because of correction. People get offended in the church now when you tell them something. I remember a day in my life when there was no word as offended in the church and it was called conviction. When God would move and you would know you were in error, but now today's society, there's so many churches will pick up and leave and not have to change who we are to suit who God desires for us to be. And so instead we'll run from that. Upset as if someone is trying to destroy us through subjection rather than realize they're trying to build you with correction. It's not about somebody trying to rule you. It's not about God trying to abuse you. He's trying to use you. Somebody say correction. The command of Christ was to make disciples of all nations. But many times we forget that the word discipline is where the word disciple comes from. I'll leave that alone. It means you're disciplined in the ways of a master. That master being Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so to be a disciple of Christ, you have to be in the disip- discipline rather of Christ. Correction is necessary for direction. Amen? How can we be accountable to anything? Because we all were excited last week about being accountable believers. How can we be accountable if we don't know what is the, uh, how would I say, the, um, I just lost my train of thought. If we don't know the bar, where God has put the bar, the standard, how can we hold ourselves to the standard, amen? Turn with me in your Bibles. I'm excited for what God has for you today. I think that if we can receive this today, we can really, really open our eyes to some key things in, our, in the spiritual, amen? Hebrews 12, verse 8, and as you're turning, they realize that man naturally desires dominion. When God created Adam and Eve, 
his command to Adam was to have dominion over the earth. As Adam sinned, he caused the fall of man, and in this fallen state, the natural desire for every man to have dominion, it makes us reject correction. Because in our spirits, we are hardwired to have, somebody say, dominion. And so because God has called us all to be leaders in some way, I mean, you, if you look, look at what Adam did when God came and said, Adam, what's going on? He said, it's the woman's fault. Immediately shifted blame. He could not take God's correction. And God said, well, Eve, what happened? Well, the serpent you put in the midst of the garden. And immediately man started shifting the blame. First lie ever. By to the mouth of a man. Well, it was the woman's fault. <laughs> Think about this. How many times we get in trouble, our first thought is not, man, you're right, I did it. We look for a reason as to why we did it that makes it okay that the reason we did it, and we try to justify the sins in our life. So the Apostle Paul, Hebrews 12, verse 8 and 11, 8 through 11, rather. <clears throat> if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and lives? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as though they thought best. But God disciplines for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I want to read the same scripture for the, from the message version. It says this, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, God also will correct. God is only educating you that you must never drop out. He's treating you as a dear child. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of every child. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would your God be irresponsible? It says we respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can live a true life? When we were children, our parents did what seemed to be best for us, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live his holy best. At that time, discipline isn't very fun. It almost feels like going against the grain. But later, trust me, of course, it pays off handsomely. For It's the well-trained child who finds themselves in a mature relationship with God. I just love the Message Bible for some, some scriptures. It's the well-trained child who is disciplined who has a relationship with God that is mature. Godly correction is for your growth. You should write that down. That's our first subtopic. Godly correction is for my growth. It is for me to grow in Christ. Amen? <clears throat> if I could leave you with one resounding thought, is that God's correcting me for my growth. If you remember nothing else today, remember that God is correcting me for my growth. The Apostle Paul takes some time to deal with the issue of godly discipline and correction. He begins to draw this parallel, how a parent disciplines and corrects and how God corrects. The word correct means to set 
to make true, to make it accurate, to make it right, to remove errors, to remove faults. It says to point out or mark the errors in something, to scold, to rebuke in order to improve or to counteract the negative effect of something. So God's correcting us. He's disciplining us. Anybody ever been disciplined by God, corrected by God? Anybody? Just me? God corrects me daily. Amen? If God doesn't correct you daily, you're probably living wild. Just want to throw that out there. Wild living. Just Naturally, as humans, we make mistakes. As a child, my father remedied my mistakes with this thing that he called punishment. If I got punished, if I disrespected someone, I was punished. If I stole something from his office, some money, some quarters, I was punished. If I broke some windows, which I broke many, I got punished. If I threw a snowball at my school bus and it happened to fly in through the driver's window and hit her in the face in the dead of winter, and she ain't picked me up for three weeks, I got punished. Everything that I did, I got punished. So my father <coughs> remedied my negative behavior with punishment. If I cursed at my mom, I got punished. Sometimes it wasn't much of a punishment. It was something like a wrath of anger where he would walk out and just smash something of mine. Maybe something like that, you know. I remember when I was young, my father told one of my siblings, clean the table. No, I'm not going to clean the table. He told them about three times, clean the table. They said, no, I'm not going to clean the table. Finally, he took the whole table, picked it up, dumped it on the floor. said, fine, clean the floor. Remember one time he said, clean the floor. They said, no, I'm not going to clean the floor. He said, clean the floor. They said, no. He walked in the cabinet, or actually walked into the cabinet because they said the floor wasn't dirty. He took out all the spices, threw them all over the floor, opened them up, oil it. Now it's dirty. Clean it. Then he played with dad. Good old times. When I had negative behavior, there was a punishment that came with it. I remember one time, me and all my brothers and sisters, it was probably the only time we all got punished. We were on the school bus, and, and I forget exactly what happened. I remember we were there with the school bus driver. I was acting up on the school bus. He came and grabbed me by the hem of, by the back of my pants and stuck his hands, like, you know, behind my belt. And one of my sisters, I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was Deanna or Judy, one of them got up and said, he's a homosexual. But in other words, he's a homosexual. You're homo and my brothers, my sister, all my cousins are sitting there. Ah! I got like 12 cousins on the same bus. We're all yelling at this bus driver. He brings us right back to the school, drops us all off. My sister got hit 100 times. The next one got hit 75, 50, and I got 25. I was the youngest. Negative actions. My father remedied them with punishments. I realize now... He wasn't just punishing me. He was training me. Every time I had a negative behavior that was morally wrong, he had a negative consequence for me that taught me that I should not act in a way. And so nowadays I have a common sense about me. You ever met somebody with no common sense? Just don't know what something is ghetto. That's ghetto. You shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't ask for a, for a refill of a pitcher. They don't sell pitcher refills at the Massimo's. Got mad because I got, saw somebody that got mad because they wouldn't give him a refill on the pitcher of soda. Have you had a heart? I'm just sitting there. Oh my God. 
I'm talking like that's just not normal. Could you, could you imagine, it's just, you, you see the things all around society, it's because of lack of discipline in their lives. And so growing up, my father, he would teach me a better way through punishment, amen? He was a great man with great values and a great heart. He realized that I could not get far in life by swearing and being disrespectful and being from, a, from being a lying thief. He countered that bad behavior with training called punishment and discipline. And in the end, it reduced the probabilities that I would react in that same way in a similar circumstance. And so next time someone put their hand behind my belt, I didn't haul off and say homosexual. I was just, what are you doing? I calmed down. I learned my lesson. It's, that wasn't going to happen again. When a child goes near a stove, you have to give them a little... So they'll know, don't go back again. It's like the dog's collar. They have the electric collar. They have an invisible fence. And every time he goes, he gets zapped. So the dog knows, don't go too far. I'm going to get zapped. That's the way God corrects us. Don't do that. I'm going to zap you. Don't act that way. You shouldn't talk that way. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. <coughs> he trained me through punishment how not to act. And he reversed my actions in an effort to give me a strong moral foundation and a strong, solid foundation in Christ. So the process of correction in my heart, what I call it, my definition of correction is educating my mistakes. So, so it's not just getting disciplined and I got hit and I got beat. No, I was educating my mistakes. That makes sense? So dad educated my mistakes with negative consequences that removed the desire from within me to repeat the process and in turn, have more negative consequences in my life. Likewise, God's correction, he's trying to educate your mistakes out of you. Paul declares God is not, uh, that God did not discipline us and correct us. If he didn't, we would be illegitimate children. You would just be like, not even a stepson to God. You would be, a, you'd be like one of those guys who have a kid and never take care of them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's not God. God's going to take care of you, not just financially and give you some child support. He's going to give you correction and discipline and life skills. And so the apostle Paul is declaring in Hebrews 12, God is trying to discipline you for he is a father. Amen. <coughs> discipline never feels good. It never feels good. But in the end, we learn valuable lessons. So correction is the process of educating mistakes. God is not trying to break you. Somebody said he's trying to make me. That's the point. Listen, God desires to set you on an accurate course and make you successful. God desires to remove the faults in you and try to improve you for the longevity of your life. That, that makes sense today? He's not trying to destroy you. I think God would rather employ you. That's the truth. He would rather use you in a capacity that he can benefit rather than having you out there acting all types of foolishness. So God disciplines and corrects us. God has no desire to beat you and mistreat you, but rather he wants to purify you and refine you. God does not desire to abuse you. He simply wants to improve you. Understand that God loves you, and he's trying to make the best you come out. Correction always hurts in the beginning, but later, of course, it pays off handsomely, the Bible says, for it is the well-trained children of God who find themselves mature in their relationship with Christ. And so if we know all this, why do we still despise correction? If people really don't like the idea of God telling us we're wrong. If we, if we know it is good for us and we know it is to educate us, then why don't we just accept God's correction? 
Many a believer would rather be ruined by praise instead of saved by correction. You'd rather I stroke your ego and tell you how great you are and how magnificent you are and how God is doing great things, but yet God desires to correct us in order that we might be greater. <coughs> Anybody here today with me? Correction is meant to build and mature us. As I matured into adult, into an adult last year, um, my father had to tell me less and less in certain situations not to curse, not to act a certain way, to know how to talk, to know how to act, to know how to treat myself, and to know, you see, I was able to go to Fairfield and have a job and keep my job for more than three years and not get fired for cussing someone out. I was able to turn my first job into a, a nearly $60,000 job in four or five years because I knew how to act, and my father put a great head on my shoulders. It had nothing to do with me being great, me being smart. No, I had discipline and correction in my life. As God corrects, I matured spiritually as I begin to see the world through the eyes of Christ. Usually correction brings forth the direction of your, of, your, of your leader. So if your father corrects you, now he's showing you the situation through his eyes. And so when God corrects me, I'm able to see the world through his eyes. Where I once would have sinned, correction taught me to, to shut my mouth. Where I once would have cursed at someone, correction taught me to speak life instead of death. Where I once would have done something negative, correction has taught me to speak right and edify the people around me with my words. Where I once would have probably slapped somebody, correction and God's discipline has taught me to turn the other cheek. That one wasn't popular. Truth is told, I know what I'm good at. I don't need God to stroke my ego. Instead, I want God to show me my flaws. Show me all my shortcomings. I believe the thing we hate the most is not correction, but the direction from which it comes. It's not that we hate the correction. We hate the fact that the minister told me something. We hate the fact that our boss told us something. We don't like this person. I don't like the way they said this about me. I don't like this. I don't like that. Anybody here with me? You're taking from a manager, but not the supervisor. You're taking from the pastor, but not the minister. Maybe you're taking from an apparition of an angel, or just from God himself. Nobody, no man can tell you what to do because you're just a man. Anybody oh, just, <coughs> this one wasn't going to be popular. As believers, we're supposed to be humble. I have leaders. I have pastors over me who have no fear to call me and correct me. Pastor P can walk into my house. He's my spiritual father. He can walk into my house and ask my wife any question he wants about my marriage, about anything. He has that level of leadership over my life. And if I'm not doing things right, he will correct me. He's, every time he comes down here, we sit for an entire day. We talk ministry. And whatever I did wrong, he corrects me. When I meet with Pastor John Moratori, my local mentor, when I, when I talk to him, if I'm in the air, he'll correct me. I call him, listen, I did this, that. Why would you do that? I don't know. If I'm in error, he'll correct me. If I can take correction, you best just take correction. Humility is the key to properly handling correction. When correction comes, it is because God loves us. Remove this thought process of victimhood that someone is out to hurt you and learn to remain, somebody say, correctable. Many times we fool ourselves into believing we're right and we don't need to change. We can't be told much of anything. God can't fill a vessel that's already full. We want to allow ourselves to be disciplined. We have no sense of being corrected. 
And oftentimes, immaturity comes through in these times. Proverbs 5.23, Solomon echoes this. He says, he will die for a lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Oftentimes, we are led off of God's path because we are too foolish to take correction. Oftentimes, we, we rather walk away from God, walk away from church, walk away from the kingdom because we didn't like the way something was told to us. We didn't like how somebody did something. And so the Bible says right there, we're going to die for our lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. How many people do we know in the streets acting foolishly end up dying for a lack of discipline in their lives? I would challenge you today that God desires that you remain correctable as a believer. For if you're not correctable, how can God refine you? How can God work in you? Number two, knowledge is a byproduct of correction. Knowledge is a byproduct of correction. From correction comes knowledge. <coughs> Proverbs 12.1. <clears throat> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I didn't say it. It's in the Bible. I'll read it again in case you don't believe me. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. How many of you like to be smart, like to be educated, know what you're talking about? Love discipline. Love discipline. For if not, the Bible says that man who hates it is stupid. We should love discipline. We should love it because it gives us knowledge. We should love when our boss says, no, you did that wrong. Let me show you how to do it a better way. We should love when someone comes in to help you and says, no, you're doing that wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't live that way. You should live according to what the Bible says. We should love that. For with that comes the knowledge of who God is. Paul said correction and discipline are for our education. And so Solomon says the same thing. If you love discipline and you're being corrected, you're going to have knowledge. But if you hate it, you're going to be pretty dumb. Have you ever met somebody, you try and talk to them, like, uh-uh, no, no, no. They wouldn't even hear you out. And you thought to yourself, how ignorant that person is. You're not being judgmental, you're pointing out the obvious. If you said to me, I'm short. Pastor, you're short. I'm like, I'm going to say, yes, you're right. That's not judging. It's calling it like you see it. Anybody here with me? And so if the Bible is saying that, saying that if we don't like correction that we're not going to have great knowledge we're not going to be the sharpest tool in the box the word they're stupid in Hebrew is the word that it, it means brute which means to be inhumane to have animalistic qualities it's this word called bara b-a-a-r I can't even really pronounce it but I looked at the definition and it means that we're going to be animalistic I think I know some animalistic people if, cor if correction is the process of educating my mistakes, then that means I get knowledge when God corrects me. In terms of Christianity, God corrects through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Why? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all his good works. 
The word of God is to correct you, that you will be furnished. You know what furnished means? To have the right things, the right tools, the right places in your life. You will be furnished. I like this because it says reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, and for doctrine. Four things the word of God is used for. Reproof, correction, doctrine. Got this so far? And instructions of righteousness. But I love the fact that reproof and correction are one and the same. God said twice, my word is to correct you and rebuke you. Maybe that's why some people don't read their Bible. I just I realize God's reason for correcting me through his word is so that I can have everything I need to live a godly, righteous life. He's trying to furnish my life. He's trying to give me. He's not trying to take away. He's trying to give me. Amen. Godly correction via his word equips me to handle the situations better. Correction coming from the word of God is powerful for the everyday believer. It may not come in the form of scripture popping up and saying you're in sin, but it might come in the form of a person saying that's against the word of God. You shouldn't act like that. The scripture tells us how to live, amen? If we can understand that God is trying to only tell us how to live, we can embrace the knowledge he has for us. When you came to God in sin, but as you read the word of God, you realized more and more, that's not right. This is why I got to change this. I got to change that. And as you did that, more things in your life began to drop off, and you gave up the things that, that did not honor God. Amen? At least I didn't. That, that, that's what I did when I came to Christ. I gave up things that did not honor God. Okay, making sure I'm not alone. God's word is there to disciple us and to educate us. Psalms 94.12. Blessed is the man you discipline. O Lord, the man you teach from your law. The psalmist here is, is really saying, is really saying, blessed is the man that you correct. Blessed is the man who's living according to your word. Blessed is the man. Anybody want to be blessed? Get disciplined by God. If you want to be blessed, there's ways to get blessed. Things you have to do. And one of them right there, black and white. I even put it in red in my notes. You have to be disciplined by God in order to be blessed. You have to discipline your life. <coughs> and so he says, blessed is the man you teach from your law. The Jewish word for law is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And so it's saying, blessed is the man you teach according to the law. The word Torah in English means the path. What is it saying? Blessed is the man you discipline according to the law that leads them to your path. To walk with you. To walk with you, God. To walk in unison with you. To be in step with God. To be, anybody want to be in step with God? Want to have a blessed life? I think that scripture right there explains why so many Christians are attacked. So many Christians are hurting. So many Christians are defeated. So many losers on a winning team. Because we have no discipline of the word of God in our lives. And we're not blessed. Okay, I'll leave that alone. Next. Being a disciple means to be disciplined in the ways of God. I don't know about you, but I desire to be on God's path. And I do this by allowing myself to be corrected and disciplined by God. To live a blessed life. <clears throat> I really hope you can get something from this today. Correction is not a scolding process. It's a molding process. God is not trying to beat you down when he's trying to ask you to correct things in your life. He's just showing you how, see, I can maybe, maybe, maybe I can do it like this for you guys. I remember when I turned 18, I started going to the clubs. 
And the first time I went to the club, they told me, listen, you can't wear this, can't do that, can't do this. Come dressed like this. Right? Am I know what I'm talking about? No? Oh, we're all just saved today? And so I went over there according to how I was supposed to dress to get in. Because I knew if I came improperly, I could not get in. Kind of the same thing with heaven. You have to be dressed a certain way to get up there. Righteousness, holiness. You have to have certain, if you can't get that right, you're going to get to the door and you're going to, I don't know, wrong dress code. <coughs> you got that? You're laughing too hard, Carmen. Just, uh, I'm just kidding. I got to give it to you in terms you understand it. And so while other pro- folks were getting turned away, I was let in because I had the right apparel. As believers, we have to be led into God's presence because we have the right lifestyle behind us. Amen? Correction and discipline bring forth life. Proverbs 6.23. The corrections of discipline are the way to life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. According to Solomon, being corrected by God brings forth life. Why does it bring forth life? It brings forth life because it tells you how to live more abundantly. The way to life, somebody say, is correction and discipline. When God gave the Ten Commandments and all the Mosaic Law, that was for the reason he gave them. What was the reason he gave them the law? Does anybody know? I'll give you a scripture. Deuteronomy 440. The reason God gave them the law. Deuteronomy 440. Keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that, here we go, it may go well with you and your children. The children after that you may live long in the land the Lord God is trying to give you. Obeying God's law is not just for fun. It's so that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life. After every decree God gave them, Moses would say, and you should keep his command that it might go well with thee. The scripture pops up over and over and over this saying that it may go well with thee. (coughs) Proverbs 10, 17, Solomon had a lot to say on discipline. He says, he who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. I could stay here for days about how when somebody corrects you, you go around to try and rally support for your side of things and try and take folks with you in an argument. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's how sin is. It's been like that since the beginning of time. For when Satan fell, he took and got one-third of the angels to take his side and go with them. And so every time God tries to correct someone, especially in churches, you try to get somebody on your side and you form a clique within, a, within the church and you try and push it and there be no... And then one person leaves, two people leave, and three people leave with them. Don't even know what happened, but heard some one side of the story. It's right there. Why? For he who heeds discipline shows the way to life. If you listen to correction, you stay put. But if you listen to it rather and ignore it, correction, you lead others astray. Applying correction to your life leads to life. Oftentimes when we feel we should not have been corrected, we always try to get other people in the same mindset as us. Oftentimes, it's not the correction we despise. As I said earlier, it's the direction from where it came from. It takes a spiritually 
a spiritually mature person to absorb some real God-felt correction. That's why some folks are just spiritual babies. When babies are babies, you don't sit there and pop them for doing dumb stuff. You got to be like, no, no, oh, my God, honey, come here, hold the baby, shake him. No, 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 no. Like they're going to say it back, six months old, I mean six weeks old, no. No, like, I love how we just talk to babies. They know what we're saying. Like, oh, I, I hold their neck, no. That's how I got to treat some people in church, no. No. Because if I would have said, no, ah, I'm leaving the church. I'm so upset. I'm so offended. You hurt me, and I'm just never going to church again. Are you serious? It takes a mature Christian to handle correction. Is that true? Or you might take someone astray with you if you don't receive God's correction. Understand that many churches all across the city, we've seen churches split because of lack of correction. We've seen huge churches break in half because one person didn't like the way one person did something, and the lack of correction brings the whole thing. Everyone's offended in church, but I remember a day when we used to call that conviction. Let's just leave church and start our own. Let's just do what we want. Let's live how we desire. Stop being offended and start letting God convict your life. You'll see some real change when God begins to convict you. You see, the problem is that we, we, I've seen also many leaders abuse correction and discipline, but overall, the majority of the issue is that we as a society challenge authority on every level, and the reason for that is, is because we live in a democracy. And this is where the conflict between you and God comes in. I'm going to give you seriously the greatest conflict you have with God and you do not even know is that you don't realize who God is. God is not your senator. You can't vote him out. He's not your congressman that you can lobby for something else. He is not living in a democratic democracy mindset. You can vote the president out. You can vote your congressman out. You can impeach the mayor. You can do what you want. You don't like somebody, vote them out. But God is not the president. You can't wait four years to get him out. He is a king. I don't think we understand this. This is the greatest issue with the church. You think you can debate God's word. He is a king. And in the old days, every word that fell from a king's mouth was law. That's called a monarchy. God is a king. You are a subject in his kingdom. So is why Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. He did not say the democracy is coming, that you might be able to vote him out. You might be able to say, now we can live like this because it's 2012. No, the Bible tells you that God's word is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And understand, the reason it says that is because God is a king, and a king's word was law and could never be changed, not even by the king himself. And so the Bible says God puts his, his word above himself. He holds his word in higher regard than he does himself why? Because the word of a king could not be broken even by a king. And he understands he has to listen to his own law. God is sovereign. Sovereign meaning he's not, the word sovereign at its core means he's not affected by your opinion. Understand that God is not moved by your opinion. <clears throat> it kind of stumbles you when you say, why do I pray if God's not moved by my opinion? God's sovereign, as I've heard it taught to me, God's sovereign until he speaks. 
But once he speaks, he's trapped by his own word. His word becomes law. And so the Bible says, blessed is he who he's disciplined. So God spoke it. I am blessed if I heed discipline. That's the law of God. So I have to be disciplined and then say, God, it's your law. You have to bless me. I think some of you just missed that entire last two seconds. So the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And what you should do is seek the kingdom, and then sit there and say, God, I did it. You owe me some things right now. Come on, king, let's go. Because God is trapped by his own word. The Bible says, don't worry about what tomorrow brings. Don't worry about room and shelter. Don't worry about what the, the roof of your head in the Bible or the food you might eat tomorrow. So the Bible says, seek God and don't worry about nothing else. So seek God and say, God, I'm not worried because you're my king. You're going to provide for me. God's a monarchy, not a democracy. You cannot vote him out. Understand, if you follow his law, you have the right to demand the things from him which he owes you. Anybody here with me today? And because we have this democratic mindset, it's hard to teach kingdom to a democratic person. Go to England, they still have the king and queen in control of the government. Understand this. And so, and so because this monarchy exists, we sit here with the democratic mindset thinking that God's going to have to bend to your will. If you can get enough support, I don't care how many folks you get gossiping with you, God's not with you. No matter how many folks share in your sin, God is not honored in it. Just because, just because we have homosexual marriage, just because we have abortion, it doesn't make a difference. God is not with it. He is a monarchy. He doesn't care what we do. You are in rebellion if you agree with those things. And so God says, you're a rebel to my kingdom. You have enmity between you and me. You're an enemy of the state. Anybody here with me today? He's not a president that we can just get rid of. He's a king that we have to live under all the days of our lives. He's the king of our lives. He's the Lord, the master, the savior. <coughs> Understand God loves you. When you walked into the kingdom of a king, you can tell how great the king was by how his servants were dressed. You can tell how good of a king he was by how they were dressed, how they were furnished, how how much money they had and what kind of lives they lived. And so you have to understand God wants the best for you so that you can reflect the great king that he is. But he cannot give you those things if you're living in error to his word. Solomon couldn't have put it any better that when you reject correction, you lead others astray. Psalms 39.11 says, God, you rebuke and discipline men for their sins. God rebuke and discipline come due to sin being in their lives. And so God educates your sin with the truth of Jesus Christ and his word and we're to turn away from the sin. Understand this, the church must allow ourselves to be openly corrected by God. Godly correction brings forth life, blessings, education, and knowledge. I don't know about you, but I desire God's correction in my life. I desire that God would fix me and not leave me broken. It's like when you walk out the bathroom and, and you have some toilet paper stuck to the back of your pants. Don't you want somebody to tell you you're walking around looking like a fool? And so God is trying to correct you because you don't look that great to him. Number four, my last point for you today. Somebody say, he's almost done. Correction brings direction. <clears throat> Imagine you're in the wrong road of life. 
You stop and ask God where to go and he puts you on the proper route. God's correction brings direction. Listen to what Job says concerning God. Probably one of the best scriptures I'll give you today. This one you could, you could really take to the bank. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of God Almighty. Here's my favorite part. For he wounds, but he also binds it up. He injures, but his hands also heal. We hear it and see it again. Blessed is the man, it says, who is corrected by God. We should not hate to be disciplined. Job says, love it. You're blessed. If God heals you, it's because he injured you. If God's going to hurt you, he's going to help you. If God's going to have to bring you down before he takes you up, he's going to do it. Understand. You see, here's the thing. When you hop on an elevator, I can only explain it to you like this. When you hop on an elevator and you say, I want to go on the top floor, what happens? What's the first thing that happens before you go up? You drop down for a split second. As the brake releases off of the, off of the thing, you just drop down for a split second, and then you go up. It's like hopping on an airplane, and when you first go up in the air, at first, for the first couple thousand feet, it's riding the wave of the air, and then it goes completely dependent upon the engines, and you feel quick, and you come back up. That's how God is when he's trying to bring you up. He has to knock you down for say, listen, uh-uh, that's not how you do things. Get right like this, and then he brings you back up. If you feel yourself going down, don't be afraid. That's just God. He's trying to, before he raises you, he's trying to make sure you are equipped. Same verse in the Message Bible. It says this, so what a blessing when God steps in to correct you. Mind you, don't despise the discipline of Almighty God. Yes, he wounds, but he will also dress the wound. The same hand that hurts you will heal you. From one disaster after another, God will deliver you. No matter what the calamity, the evil one cannot touch you. God will not just correct you, he will direct you. Not just in the sense of a navigational sense, but almost like a conductor of a play, a director of a play. As a director of a film or a, a movie, the job of the director is to get the most out of the actors. And to say, no, no, do that more passionately. No, 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 say it like this. Do it like that. And he directs the play, and he tries to make the, the whole thing come out as best as possible. And so God is a director in your life saying, no, don't do this. No, don't do that. Do it like this. Say it like that. Walk like this. Walk like that. Don't miss your cue. Don't do this. Don't do that. God's directing your life. Anybody, that's, that's good right there. God's, he's the orchestrator of your life. He's in the bandstands doing this. He's just directing you and he's trying to, Get you to understand he's not here to beat you down. He's here to bring out the best in you. He wouldn't just correct you and leave you hanging. He desires to give you the best possible. He wouldn't discipline you and never tell you how to change. <clears throat> God's a loving father and he always directs us through the process of correction. Correction without direction is just abuse. And God's plan is not to abuse you. He desires to use you. God doesn't want to prove that we're not good enough. He wants to prove that you're great. And so God would not just correct you and not direct you because that's abusive and God's not an abusive God. Don't hate his correction. Realize he's trying to instruct you. Proverbs 13, 18 says, he who ignores discipline, he comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction are honored. God will honor your humility in accepting correction. 
Many times you can think one way in a situation. Three, four weeks down the road with hindsight, you see 2020 and you realize you were dead wrong. For some of us, it might take three or four years instead of weeks, but he won't correct you and just leave you to die. The psalmist says this, Psalms 118, verse 18. The Lord has chastened me severely, meaning corrected me. He's disciplined me, but he has not given me over to death. God desires to enjoy you. He's not out to destroy you. God desires to use you. God desires to love you. God desires to have the best you possible. God desires that you would be, wake up every morning and be so excited about life. God desires that you would not have a care in the world. You would not have sickness. You would not have infirmity. God's desire is that you would be full of life, that it would overflow out of you, that you would come in contact with other folks and that your life would be so infectious because you're living under the discipline of God. Godly correction is what the body of Christ needs to remove all the spots and blemishes. For the Bible says that he is coming back for a church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. That the Bible says his blood is to wash you white as snow. Not to make you like a polka dot. He's not here for great designs. He's here for one thing. He's here for you. Proverbs 3, Solomon says this in verse 11. My son... Despise not the, the chastening of the Lord, neither be wary of his correction, meaning don't grow tired of it. The word wary in, in, in Greek and Hebrew means to not grow tired of a good thing. So he says, don't grow weary, don't get tired in the good correction of God. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. I realized that when my father would punish or correct me, it was because he loved me. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't have corrected me and lived, let me live and do as I please. But yet love made him. Love forced him to teach me a better way. At the end of the day, God corrects us because he loves us. He's trying to get you to live a better way. The problem is that sometimes correction hurts. I remember when I used to get punished as a kid, no matter how wrong I was, I was always furious at my father as if it was his fault for punishing me and not my fault for committing the offense. Nobody told me to break the window. That was all me. But now I'm mad because I'm punished. Like a child mad because they can't go to a friend's house, can't go to a birthday party because they've been doing bad things. And you talk to them and, oh, my parents hate me. You talk to every teenager, they're convinced their mother hates them. She doesn't know. She doesn't understand. She was never your age. I know, I know. She just came out grown, 30 years old. Grew up in a test tube. Never had no type of temptation in their life. Never had no type of, you know, never had a little boyfriend when they were 15 years old. Didn't have their mother say no. If you ask your mother why you can't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's because when you were their age, they couldn't. Doesn't that make sense? Dad, why did you do that? Because my dad did it. No better excuse than that. That's why the Bible says when you're a child, your parents do what seems right. But God does what is right for you. That's what it says. Your parents did what seemed right, but God does what is right for you. I know we think we have it all figured out. I know we laugh at those 13, 14-year-old kids who are so disrespectful to their parents. Aren't they just funny to watch them? 
30 years ago, we didn't need no show called Scared Straight. You acted up, you got beat. You didn't even have to be part of it. You should have just been around it. And you got beat. Did you know about it? Yeah. Nowadays, kids have it really good. Yelling at their parents, cussing, swearing, sleeping around, drinking. Maury, my teens are out of control. Seriously? She's 11. She's out of control. My kid hits me. My kid beats me. Are you serious? And I watch these shows and I laugh at these kids. And these kids go to the jail all hard and end up crying. Oh, I want my mommy. Isn't that funny? That's how you are to God. Oh, I think you know everything. Disrespectful 24-7. Sitting left and right. Don't know. Act like you know the whole world. You got it all figured out. When he corrects you, just, oh. when you're going through a tough time, oh, Lord, I'm just, uh. Now when you're done, spend all your money, frivolous spending, wild living, just all types of foolishness. No, God, I need your help. Like one of those kids, I'm scared straight. Y'all should know don't answer questions when I ask them. I just have this like, I did it this time. I learned, I learned, I learned. Imagine how you look to God. Imagine how we look before the Lord who's trying to correct us and we're so against his correction. We're so like, no, God, no, God, no. Run to our room, stomp our feet, slam our house doors. Like if we're running into our bedroom, my God can't come in. I don't know why I ever locked my door as a kid. My father would just come right in after me. If not, my door, you just hit it hard enough, the, pop, the lock just popped right open. Just one of those old houses, you know. Why do we run from God's correction if we know he's trying to help us? You can look at a parent and see them correcting their child and understand why they're doing it. But when it happens to you, it's just never understandable. When God does it to you, you just, I don't know why, God, I'm going through so much. No, stop, stop. Stop that victimhood stuff. Stop playing the victim. Just say, God, man, you're really teaching me a lesson. Thank you. God, I understand you're trying to improve me. Thank you. You see better with me. Thank you. Don't grow weary of God's correction. The moment you no longer are able to be corrected by God, you stop growing in Christ. Because the only way God helps you grow in him is by removing the things that hinder growth. Come on, stand with me. The moment you're no longer correctable is the moment you stop growing in Christ. <clears throat> the only way to stay correctable as believers, come on, every head bowed, every eye closed, the only way to stay correctable is to remain humble and have humility before the Lord. Humility, thinking less of yourselves and more of others. Romans 12, 3 says, For, the, by, the, for by the grace given, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe in my heart that as believers, we must really ask God to restore a heart of correction into the body of Christ. 
We can accept God's correction, God's direction. We can accept that God is trying to help us. God is trying to shift us. God is trying to scold, to, 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 to sculpture your life in a capacity you could never imagine. God is not trying to beat you down. You may be down and out. You may have a tough time at home. You may have a situation that is big, that is rough, it is bad. But at the end of the day, God is out to build you up. I want you to receive that. Come on, every head bowed, every head closed. God is out to nurture you like a father. God's purpose is to refine you. God's purpose is to use you. God's purpose is to keep you. God's purpose is to draw you in, not to push you away. God's purpose is to love you through correction. If you're going through a tough time, God's trying to love you through correction. God's trying to direct your life. God's trying to discipline you so you can be called a disciple of Christ that you might have life and you would have it more abundantly. He's not trying to destroy you. He's not trying to to take every part of your life and break it apart. He's trying to put it all back together piece by piece and some things you have to remove because you have some pieces and places you thought they went but God says no it doesn't go there and I have a better plan for you Jeremiah 29 11 he declared to Jeremiah and it echoes throughout the annals of time in the halls of history in the in the halls of heaven it says for I know the plans that I have for you there are plans to prosper you plans for good health for a great life plans to bless you Come on, God knows the plan that he has for you. And the trick of the enemy is to get you to think you know it all. And nobody can tell you anything. But God says, no, remain humble. Remain correctable. That you might be a disciple of my son, Jesus. That you might be a disciple of the cross. That you might be a disciple. I've not called you to live like the world, but to live apart from the world. I've not called you to be in the world, but to be in my kingdom, in my body. But I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans to prosper you. They're not plans to harm you. They're plans to keep you safe. Come on, if anybody in this room today, come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray with you this morning, this afternoon, right now. I want to pray with you. If you would raise your hand and say, you know, Pastor, I got some things in my life that I realize God's just disciplining me. God's trying to correct me. And I need help in receiving it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You say, you know what? I may go through a tough time, but I realize it's only because God's trying to refine me. God's trying to make me better than what I can see myself. Because every morning I look in that mirror and I see a failure. I see a person who has no purpose. I see a person who's missing the mark. But yet I know that God sees in me something so much greater than I could possibly see in myself. And every day I go to sleep and I know I missed the mark. But today I want to walk out this place knowing that I have a better chance tomorrow with God's correction to live the life that God wants me to. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see your hands, thank you. If I get my worship team, come on, thank you. Today's communion Sunday, come on. We're going to pray with you right now. If you have your hand lifted up, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, open my heart to your correction. Open my heart that I may know that you are trying to correct me from my good. That you're trying to build me and not destroy me. You're not here to abuse me, but you only desire to bring out the best in me. So Father, humble me. Give me opportunities to be humble. That I can accept your correction. I can accept your discipline.
For your word says, blessed is the man who heeds the discipline of the Lord. But he who rejects it is stupid. Lord, I choose discipline and correction for my life. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift your hands all across the sanctuary as